Numbers chapter 15, uh, we just uh, tried to get into the land, right? We got all the way up uh, against the promised land and 12 spies uh, entered into that land. Uh, And they came back with word again. and, And they came back with announcements that there is fruit. The fruit is plentiful. It is bountiful. The land is good. But there were 10. And those 10 decided rather than to focus on the fruit, uh, they focused on the foes. And those 10 discouraged the hearts of God's people. And for now, until Numbers 25, we see them wandering in the wilderness. God, because of their unbelief, sentenced them to wander for an entire generation and that only their children would be allowed to enter. What a warning is this to us, right? That, that they, they didn't trust God's word and obey by faith. Instead, they evaluated. They, they checked it out. They investigated it. They put a toe in the water to see uh, if what God said was good. Instead of evaluating God's promises before we follow them, God asked us to take his promises at face value. To take his promises at faith value and follow what he asked us to do. Lord, you said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Uh, well, should I tithe? I don't, I don't have to investigate the nuances of God's promise to follow what he's commanded me to do. I don't have to investigate and check out the Great Commission to really understand if I need to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Should I, should I be gathering uh, in church? Let me, let me uh, break down the nuances. And God has commanded it, and it's my responsibility to obey it. They doubted it. They didn't follow. They discouraged others and caused others to disobey. And they did not offer their offerings to God during this time. What, is, what does Amos chapter 5 say? It says, Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of Moloch. You have borne the tabernacle of Chiun, your images, the star of your God, which he made to yourselves. Even during this time of wilderness, this time of unbelief, they never repented and came back to God. Instead, they began to worship gods that they themselves had made. It seems like during this wilderness wandering, that they did not offer the offerings, nor even after the second year would they offer the Passover in celebration. You see, they really didn't have any faith. They were unbelievers. Their being uh, excluded from the land wasn't because of a single act of disobedience. It was because of their lack of faith. They were unbelievers. They spent the rest of their time offering sacrifices to idols and false gods, never truly repenting of their sins. Hebrews 3.19 says that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. So God said, uh, you guys can't go because you are unbelievers. Uh, In fact, a generation, an entire generation has to pass before Israel is able to enter into the land. It's got to be your children and not you. And this entire generation passes before a new one will be brought in. Numbers chapter 15, we start uh, in verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak 
unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land of your inhabitants, which I give unto you, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or a freewill offering, or in your solemn feast to make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd or of the flock, then shall he that offereth his offering unto the Lord bring a meat offering of a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of an hin of oil, and the fourth part of an hin of wine for a drink offering shalt thou prepare with burnt offering or sacrifice of a lamb. Uh, what is God doing here? Uh, we see that he's reiterating the instructions uh, connected to sacrifices and connected to the offerings. He instructs them again. Even before adding, uh, even adding more detail to these commands, he gives further clarification on how to offer them. Even after God said, this generation will pass, this generation will die in the wilderness, even after God says, even after all of this, God says, here is how you sacrifice. Even after their rebellion, even after their rejection, even after their unbelief, God says, hey, once again, let me reiterate to you how you worship me. Wait, wait a second. You say, uh, they never offer them? That's true. But that didn't stop God from giving further instruction and further clarification. God says, here's how you keep your feast, even though he knew they never kept them and they never would. He said, here's how you make your offerings, even though he knew they would never offer them and they had never done it before. He kept on instructing even when they weren't obeying so that they would be without excuse. Well, where do we see that principle? We see it in, in chapter 1 of Romans, right? Verse, verse 20 of chapter 1 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. What we see at the end of the day is God does everything in his power to bring about this response in the children of Israel. And at the end of the day, they continue in their rebellion, they continue in their rejection, and they are without excuse. Before a God who journeyed with them, before a God who was present in their lives, the one who was there to glor be glorified, and yet they didn't. Yet they were not thankful. They rejected and they never returned. So they weren't uh, obeying. Neither would be. Yet God keeps instructing. God keeps revealing. God keeps commanding. Uh, I'm glad that God is faithful even when I'm not. I'm glad that when I step out of bounds, God tries to bring me back into fellowship with him. I'm glad that even when I reject God, he tries to bring me back to him. His word keeps speaking. His word keeps convicting. His word keeps drawing. Isaiah chapter 5 says, Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness. And their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, 
and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people. He's angry. And he hath stretched forth his hand against them. He wants to smite them. He smitten them, and the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Even in the midst of his punishment, even in the midst of his correction, the goal is not rejection, the goal is restoration. The goal is not rejection, the goal is restoration. They can't go. They've, they've forfeited God's best. An entire generation of people is lost. Yet God keeps instructing. He reiterates the instructions. He reestablishes his intentions. Look at verse number two. He reestablishes his intentions. Verse number two. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land of your habitations. Not if... But when? Understand, God's promise did not go away. God's promise remained the same. His intention was still to bring the children of Israel, the believers, those who followed God, back into the land that he had promised them. They didn't, they didn't come into the land, though, right? They didn't obey. They didn't follow through. Well, well some of them did. Well, some of them did. And when you look at uh, the passage, you see that uh, anyone under 20 years old was allowed to come back into the land. And the two spies that were faithful to God's promise. Those were to come in. Those were the, the substitution for the people who had rejected God. Understand that even though those uh, had rejected God, God's promise, God's purpose never changed. And here we see this next group come in to replace them. They could delay God's blessings, but they could never destroy God's purpose. They could delay God's blessings, but they could never destroy God's purpose. Understand the providence of God. God will work his promises with or without you. God does not force you to be a part of his program. Um, major... Uh, bodies of water and major uh, rivers in the United States. You have uh, the biggest and probably most famous, the Mississippi uh, River. Um, if you didn't know this, it only flows southward. And as much as you try to divert it, as much as you try to change it, as much as you try to uh, change the purpose and the end result of that river by swimming upstream, it always ends up right where it was supposed to go. God's will is the same. God's purposes are the same. Understand, as much as we try to thwart them, as much as we try to change them, as much as we try to, to redirect them, God's purposes, God's promises are true, and he will accomplish what he set out to accomplish. God may have to use someone else other than you to accomplish his purpose, but God's will will be done. So they could delay God's blessings, but they could never destroy God's purpose. Understand, they could rebel against God's plan, but they would be replaced by other people. God replaced his people with their children. His will will be done. He just may use someone else. So even though they've disobeyed and they won't follow, uh, God still reiterates his instructions. I'm not done. My purpose still stands. 
I still want you to worship me. I still want to be your God, constantly seeking to reestablish, constantly seeking to restore, uh, restore his people. We see then that he reestablishes his intentions. When you come into the land, my promise hasn't changed. My promise stays the same. My purpose will be accomplished. Verse number six. Or for a ram, thou shalt prepare for a meat offering two tenth deals of flour, mingle with the third part of an hin of oil. And for a drink offering, thou shalt offer the third part of an hin of wine, for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And when thou preparest a bullock for a burnt offering, or for a sacrifice and performing a vow, or peace offerings unto the Lord, then shall he bring with a bullock a meat offering of three tenths deal of fine flour, mingled with an hin, half an hin of oil. And thou shalt bring for a drink offering half of an hin of wine, for an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thus shall it be done for one bullock, or for one ram, or for a lamb, or a kid, according to the number that ye shall prepare, so shall ye do every one according to his number. Verse number 13, all that are born of the country shall do these things after this manner, an offering an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So God keeps clarifying. God keeps instructing by reiterating his instructions and reestablishing his, in, his intentions. Verse number 14 shows us, though, that he reminds them of his inclusion. He reminds them of his inclusion. Look at verse number 14. And if a stranger sojourn with you, Okay, now we're talking about someone outside of that, that specific group of people. You have the children of Israel. They've been wandering. But as they're wandering throughout the wilderness, they're going to come into contact with other peoples. These people, as they decide, hey, I want to follow your God, what do they do? Verse 14, And if a stranger sojourn with you, or whosoever be among you in your generations, and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord as ye as ye do, so he shall do. As ye do, so he shall do. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourneth with you. An ordinance forever in your generations, as ye are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourneth with you. Anyone that wanted to come into the camp, anyone that wanted to be a part uh, of this people following God could come along, but anyone who did it had to do it God's way. Anyone who did it had to walk through this same set of laws, the same set of commands. It was one law for all. Um, when people uh, come and uh, visit the United States of America and or, or immigrate to the United States, generally, um, they have to follow the laws uh, that are associated with being a part of our country. Um, and so, laws that are different in different countries, you can't come into the United States and say, well, we do this over here, and so I'm going to drive this way, I'm going to drive in the left lane, and you're going to be okay with it, um, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Um, that's not how it works. Um, when you come, when you come and be a part of then there is uh, this uh, one accord, there's one law that we all follow. Here, what God's saying is the same thing. Anyone or everyone who wants to can come in, but they had to follow God's guidelines. Um, everybody was treated equally. Uh, everyone was treated the same. Um, very practically, when well, you as a believer, when you're dealing with coworkers, 
Do you treat fairly and equitably? Do you, do you show this trait that God has of, of, of equality and justice and faith? Um, or, or the person that, that, that you're uh, managing, or if you're a teacher, students in your classroom, this, this principle that God's sharing here uh, should be a part of our lives as well. Very practically, there was one law. This law was applicable for, for all. Verse number 17, Numbers chapter 5. And the Lord, or Numbers chapter 15, I'm sorry. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And unto the children of Israel, uh, speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land, whither I bring you, then it shall be that when ye eat of the bread of the land, ye shall offer up an heave offering unto the Lord. Ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for an, a heave offering as ye do the heave offering on the threshing floor, so shall ye heave it. Of the first of your dough ye shall give unto the Lord an heave offering in your generations. Here God says, when you come into the land, uh, give me the first of your dough. He doesn't say uh, the first of your bread that you've baked. He says, give me the first part of it. Give me the beginning of it. We pray, uh, God, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and God asked us for the first part. He asked them for the dough. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now therewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that, shall, there, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Here, as he's giving these guidelines... As he's giving these instructions, he speaks about this idea of inclusion, one law for all. Uh, he gets to this uh, giving time, understanding that all that they're receiving, all that, that, that is being accomplished is from God and should be given back to God. And so what if I do disobey God's word? What, what if at the end of the day I, I disobey God's commands? What happens, what happens then? We begin it in verse number 22. And if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments which the Lord has spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day that the Lord commanded Moses, and henceforward among your generations, then it shall be, if aught be committed by ignorance, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering, for a sweet savor unto the Lord with his meat offering, and his drink offering according to the manner, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it is ignorance. And they shall bring their offering, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their ignorance. And it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel, and the stranger that sojourneth among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance." And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and the stranger that sojourneth among us. Is that, did, we, did I say ignorance enough times? Uh, that... This passage, this part of this chapter here, speaking specifically to those who have sinned unknowingly. Unknowingly. When it's found out, the pardon that, that is offered to them by God through 
sacrifice. So recovering from sins of ignorance, but then rebuking sins of impudence. Look at verse number 30. Verse number 30, but the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment. That soul shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. Rebuking the sins of impudence. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want. But the soul that doeth ought presumptuously. Uh, it's it's uh, evident in verse number 31 because he hath despised the word of the Lord. It's not just a sin. There is this attitude that accompanies it. it. It doesn't mean that you know it's wrong and you do it, right? David knew that adultery and murder was wrong. But God forgave him. Moses knew murder was wrong. He did it. And God forgave him. There was was a repentance that came along with it, not this impudence and presumptuousness that is dictated in this passage. They despise the word of the Lord. And so you have one who sins through ignorance. This individual, I didn't know this was a sin. Go offer your sacrifice and be forgiven. Then you have, in stark contrast, this individual who not only sins willingly, but sins uh, in this uh, despised attitude against the command of God. It's more of the attitude even than it is the action. Um, To me, uh, when someone makes uh, a mistake and messes up, um, most of the time... Right? It's not necessarily the act that they've, that they've done. Um, most of the time, it's the response to that action. Uh, if there's not this humility and repentance, but rather there's this arrogance and impudence, um, I'm going to have completely different responses. Right? The same thing can happen in both circumstances, but their response to, to being confronted with their sin will dictate the response that I have in that correction. Humility of receiving correction. Wisdom of learning from instruction. Or is it, how dare you correct me? I wasn't wrong. It's the attitude. It's the attitude. One who despises the word of the Lord. And of course, someone who is sinning presumptuously will be cut off because he cannot be corrected. He refuses instruction. What does Proverbs say about it? Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Do we see the difference? Proverbs 13 verse 1, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorneth heareth not rebuke. You see it. He's going to be cut off. He's going to be let go. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. Proverbs 17.10 says, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. And Proverbs 15.12 says, A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. What is the attitude that approaches correction? Is it impudence 
or is it repentance? Our passage shifts here uh, to this idea uh, of the Sabbath. Look at verse number 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done unto him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Number six here, we see the revelation uh, in the illustration. The revelation in the illustration. The thing to understand in this is that the Sabbath was a picture. The Sabbath was a shadow. It was pointing us to Christ who is our Sabbath. Christ who is our rest. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or with, of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. It's not a, a type, uh, a, it's a type of Christ. It's a picture of Christ. No work on the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works. Working on the Sabbath. Working in the Sabbath. Hebrews 4, 9 says, Therefore, uh, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Why is the Sabbath so important? Not so that God could give another law, because, but it was because it was a foreshadowing, it was a preparation, it was a pointing to our rest, who is Jesus Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Pharisees missed this meaning of the Sabbath. It wasn't one more rule to follow. It was a beautiful picture pointing others to Christ. They made it the exact opposite, though. They made it a burdensome obligation to bear. And Christ says, you've missed it. You've missed it. Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God didn't say, Sabbath was first. Now I need a man in order to force him to do it. No, he created man and said, I want to bless him with rest. Created man and said, I want to bless him with a Sabbath. Ultimately, what was that Sabbath? It was Jesus. That that Sabbath, that rest that we receive is through his son. You see, man is the apple of God's eye, not the Sabbath. You see, man is the center of God's heart, not the Sabbath. The Sabbath simply pointed us to Christ. And he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. You're not working for salvation. It's by faith entering into Christ. That is where we receive salvation. Look at the last part of the chapter with me. Verse number 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue, and it shall be unto you for a fringe, that you may look upon it. And remember, remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart, and go your own, uh, and your own eyes, after which ye used to go a-whoring. That ye may remember, and do 
all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Do you remember where we started this chapter? Do you remember? They, they had just told God, we're not entering the land. We're not going there. They had rejected God. And at the very end of this chapter, he says, look, I want you to put these things on the bottom of your robes so that you can remember my commandments, so that you can remember them and do them and be holy. Why? Because I am still the Lord your God. I am still the Lord your God. At the end of the day, he wanted to reiterate all that he had instructed them. Why? Because he wasn't done yet. His goal is still restoration. His goal is still forgiveness. At the, uh, at, the end of this, at the end of the day, his goal is to reinstate his intentions. I still want you to accomplish my purpose. I will still accomplish that purpose. His goal was inclusion. Those that enter in. I want you to understand it's one law for all. It's one law for all. They talked about how we can uh, combat sin, sins of ignorance, what to do uh, when, when they happen, uh, or how to deal with sins of impudence. How do we address those? Okay, well, what about the Sabbath days? Understand, all these things that God is presenting is because he is not cutting off the children of Israel. He is still their God. Yes, some have been replaced, but his promise, his purpose will still be accomplished. I am the Lord, your God. I pray today that as we look at this passage and uh, as we seek to understand it, that we realize that uh, these uh, Israelites were in a pretty bad place as we started off this passage. And God's heart, even though some would not enter into the land, was ultimately to continue uh, and accomplish His purpose. And his goal was to continue to have a relationship with his people. I pray that at the end of the day, in our own lives, that when we make mistakes, when we mess up, that we would understand our God is a God that loves us. Our God is a God that cares about us. And at the end of the day, even when we step away, even when we fall away, his goal is to restore us. Let's not be that sinner that sins through impudence. Let's have an attitude that seeks to be restored, an attitude that searches for repentance. And at the end of the day, I pray that we can say, God, you're our Lord. God, you brought us out of sin. God, you brought us to your Son. You are our God.